theyeshiva.net. Since it's now the Sphere Saimer, so I chose this Mimer, which begins with the Pasuk Asfartim Lachem Machiras Hashabbos, which is in Parshas Emmer. That's why it's printed in the Kutatari in Parshas Emmer. Taflamid Hey, the second column, Asfartim Lachem Machiras Hashabbos, right? You got the place? Yeah, 69, right? Let's make sure it's in Parshas Emmer. Okay, yeah. This, uh, this discourse, this mimer as it's known, was, uh, was said by the Balatanya on Parshas Emmer in the year Tovkuf Samach Zayin, which means uh, 1807, in a city called Maliv. In different uh, manuscripts of the mimer we have the date. Thursday, Parshas Emmer, Tovkuf Samach Zayin, and as you see it begins with the Pasuk, Usfartam Lachem Mimacharas HaShabbos. So let's begin. The Pasuk says in Parshish Emmer, Perik of Gimel Pasuk Tesvav, Svartim Lachem and Machrus Hashabbos, Miyam Aviachim Asemirat Nufa, Shabbos Shabbos Chuli. On the morrow of the Shabbos, the day after Yom Tif, the day after Pesach, called Machrus Hashabbos Tazayanissen, the day that you bring the carbon oimer, a special carbon like we discussed in Shulchan Aruch, a special carbon that you bring on the second day of Pesach from barley flour. So from that day that you bring the carbon oimer, which you wave up, you count seven weeks. Now the expression here is oimer hatnufa, which means the oimer, oimer is a measurement of flour. I said the volume of 43.2 eggs. That's the measurement of oimer, the tenth of an eifa. So this was tnufa, it was uplifted. They had to wave it in the Besamiktish before it was actually, part of it was burnt on the Mizbeach and part of it was baked and eaten by the Kayan. It had to be waved. And Sfira Sa'imer is Mihem Aviachim is Aimer Hatnufa. The Aimer was waved. So this Maimer is going to start explaining Sfira Sa'imer on a deeper uh, spiritual, meaningful, meaningful, uh, from, a, from a deeper spiritual point of view, which makes it meaningful to the individual life of the person. So he starts off. He says. The word usfartem means you should count, right? It's like the word sphira, sphira soimer, you should count. But there's another meaning in svartem. From the word behirus, luminescence, like a sapphire, a sapphire diamond. Evan sapir, which is a sapphire, is a diamond that shines, it has a glitter. It has a special light, a luminescence. So svartim doesn't only mean you should count. Svartim means you should illuminate. You should be cipher from the word spherus, from the word behirus. The chain eses spherus uloshen behirus. The word eses spherus is also from the word behirus, which means luminescence, like the sapphire, the sapphire stone, which has a special glow, a special glitter, a special light. Generally, one of the reasons that the ten kaiches, we know one of the Yesodis and Teres Hanister is that there's ten kaiches with which Hashem created and continues to create and sustain the worlds. They're known as the ten spheres, right? Which begin with, with Keser or Chachm and it goes down all the way to Malchus. Those are known as the ten spheres, the ten characteristics. Let's call it the ten spiritual building blocks of the universe. That's the best expression. There's ten building blocks of the universe, both the macrocosm and the microcosm. 
the larger universe and the individual universe, Eilam Katan, the person, the soul. So there's ten building blocks of which every human personality is made up of, and the entire cosmos is made up of. We're talking about ten spiritual building blocks, which then manifest itself also in physical building blocks, in terms of uh, the underlying... uh, structure of the universe. They are physical manifestations of the ten spheres. So they're called ten spheres. Why are they called spheres? What's spheres? This is a very common term in in, in all Torah Sanister, the ten spheres. It's like one of the most basic terms. So here he teaches us it's not only numbers, ten numbers. Spheres actually is saying something. Ten numbers is just okay, ten numbers. S is first, it comes from the word behirus, which means these are ten ways in which God's energy reveals itself. From the word sapir, evan sapir, spheris is from the word sapphire. In other words, it expresses a certain light. His energy comes out, it, it's manifested, it's expressed, it's revealed through ten ways. Because of the behirus, the shine, the light that comes through through these ten expressions, they're called spheres from the word behirus, which means light, luminescence, like the stone, the diamond which shines, the sapphire, which you know the sapphire, it's very, very precious, it has a very powerful glitter and shine and light, and uh, it expresses a very uh, beautiful energy. Yeah, sapir, sanpirinun, sanpirinun, they were made from sapphire. Very precious diamond. It's called Evan Sapir. So he teaches Usfartim comes from that word. What's the connection between Usfartim and Evan Sapir? He says, Vizel Usfartim Lachem. Hainu Laham Shech Esesvidis Jiiru Lachem Lamata. On a deeper level, Usfartim Lachem means you should access the spheres to yourself. Usfartim Lachem. You should not only literally, Pshat means you should count. You should count Lachem. What Lachem means is not a mitzvah on Bezdin, it's a mitzvah on every individual. That's what the Gemara says in Menachas. There's some countings that is a mitzvah only on Bezdin. For example, Shemitah, Yoivu. Here by Sfer Yisraimah, the mitzvah is a Svartim Lachem. You should count. That's Alpi Pshat. On a deeper level, the Balatanya explains what Svartim Lachem means. You should bring the Sfiros to yourself. The Sfiros, the shine, the light of the Sfiros. She'yairu Lachem Lamata. They should illuminate your world down here, down here below. So you have to, usfartem, you want to make lachem, yourselves, that you should be shining. You should be filled with the sapphire. The sphira, sphira from the word sphira, so behiris, should be you. In other words, what does this mean? To be able to align your personality with the ten spheres. To put it in other words, we said that the ten spheres are the ten building blocks of the entire universe. If you want to dissect, just like in chemistry, we dissect what is the composition of every single piece of matter. What, what makes water? What's the underlying structure of water? What's the underlying structure of snow, of fire, any, any physical matter? So we go from a superficial level to a deeper level. We look at the chemistry. And the chemistry is never what you see with your eye. You have to be able to dissect and see the molecular makeup of something, the atomic makeup of it. That's all still on a physical level. Sometimes you need a microscope for it, and sometimes even a microscope will not help. But the point is you're going deeper. Now, if you go one step deeper, one layer deeper, what are you going to discover? On a spiritual level, you discover the esospherus. That's why in Kabbalah and Chesedus, they'll talk about Mayim, water, and they'll say it's Chesed. Esh will be Gvura. Tapuach will be Malchus. 
The what are you talking about? What, what, what shalik snow will be keser? What does this mean? What it means is that the physical building blocks of every matter differs from any other matter, and the reason for that is because the spiritual energy differs. And that's very important to understand that the physical is always a manifestation of the spiritual. Just like we learned in the Maimah of Sheshis Yama, that the fact that food, the animal food, the food or vegetation, all types of foods have a power to give vitality to a person and enhance human intelligence and enhance the human soul is because there's a spiritual energy that, that this food has that can enhance something in a person, like we learned about Toyo and Tikkun. So therefore... The building blocks of every physical thing always depends on the spiritual building blocks of it. It's always connected with it. One is a manifestation of the other. Every physical atom and its exact makeup is a result of the spiritual energy that is designated particularly for this type of nivra, for this type of creation. So everything comes from the ten spheres, but the question is what's dominant? What's more, what's more expressed? Now, the human personality as well, the soul and the body are also made up of these ten building blocks. The question is again, what's more emphasized? You'll say this person is on a shama of chesed, this is on a shama of gvura, this person has more chachma, more bina, more das, more teferis, more netzach. These are different components in the building blocks of the soul. During Sphira, we focus on all these things, right? Every night is one other attribute of the human soul. Chesed, Shabbat Chesed, Gvur, Shabbat Chesed, Tiferet, Shabbat Chesed, and so forth. So Sfartim Lechem means that a person should be able to align their own ten faculties with God's ten faculties. That the two should become synchronized. One should mirror, and one should be mirrored and reflected in the other. That's what he's saying. Shia'iru Lechem Lamata that the nefesh, which is also made up of the ten kaiches corresponding to the essence spheres, they should be aligned. That's what we say in the in the Rebbeinu Shlalem after Spheres Saimer. What do we say? Right? What does this mean? So we know this song, and this. What does it really mean? What it actually means is actually means that the void of is what he's saying here, To be able to see Hashem's ten spheres as a backdrop with which to align my ten spheres. I also have chesed, I have gvura, I have teferis, I have netzach. We all have these qualities, which we'll discuss more soon. We all have these qualities. But these qualities can be expressed in functional ways, in dysfunctional ways, in healthy ways, in unhealthy ways, in holy ways, in unholy ways, moral ways, immoral ways. They can be driven by insecurity. They can be driven by wholesomeness. So, the ten spheres are always like the blueprint that the architect uses or the, the, contractor, the contractor uses when he builds the home. Why does he have a blueprint? Because if not, yeah, 
like they do anyway. You decide the, 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 this window goes here, the bathroom goes here, the wiring goes here. And suddenly the architect takes a look at the blueprint. You're destroying the home and see us. So you need a blueprint in, in order to know what your design is supposed to aspire to. This is the perfect ideal house. Now let's try to copy this in the real world. The ten spheroids are Kevayachal, God's blueprint for the universe. They are the spiritual source of every single thing in the universe. And a person is made up of those ten building blocks. So sphere is to align your ten faculties with his ten faculties, that one should mirror the other. Allah Havin Zayis, to understand this, Hinei Pesach Uitzis Mitzray, V'chagashvu Sumatan Teirah. We have two phases in the Jewish calendar. There's leaving Mitzrayim and then there's Matan Tair. The Kaidim Kabbalah Satayra Yitzrichim Lisper Zayin Shvu is Shleim as Varkachoyi Chaylam Lakabbalah Tair. Before Kabbalah Satayra, they had to count seven weeks and then they could receive the Tair afterwards. <laughs> so he starts explaining. The Pasuk says, This is a Pasuk in Yecheskel. In Yecheskel, in his famous, what's known as Maisim Merkava, his famous vision in the opening of Yecheskel, which is the Haftar actually of Shvuas. So he has an expression, The animals, which, huh? what? What do you say? Yeah, Rotsi means they run, like Rots, right? Rotsi, they run, Vashoiv, they come back. This is describing a perpetual motion. Rotsi, Vashoiv, yearning, running, and returning, running and returning. Shalamayla hakal b'bchinas ratzay v'shayf. Lamayla, in the spiritual energy of life, everything operates in a double motion. Ratzay v'shayf. In English, I would describe it as tension and resolution. Ratzay is, I'm unsatisfied with the status quo. I'm yearning, like I'm running. Why am I running? I'm looking for something. I'm yearning. And then there's shayf. Shaiv is the ability to be able to return to where you are. One is, I want to leave where I am. I want to run somewhere else. And then there's accepting where I am. Essentially, as we shall see, these two motions are the engine. They are the fundamental engine by which, he says, everything is Ratzai V'shoif. Everything operates like that. is Ratzai V'shoif. There's yearning and there's returning. There's running and there's coming back. There's tension and there's resolution. Are you satisfied in life or are you unsatisfied in life? And what's the proper way? There's people who are never satisfied. They have only Ratzai. And there's people who are always satisfied. They have Shuv. Which one are you? Now the balance of this is a magical balance. To be not satisfied enough, but not to the point where you go crazy and you're always frustrated, right? These people are always in a state of Ratzai, which means... I'm never, ever content. I always need more. Whatever more is, more wisdom, more money, more success, more power. I always need more, even more good stuff. And then there's shayv. I'm always relaxed. I'm always <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a duality here called tension and resolution. Tension is there's something wrong that I'm trying to liberate myself from. And resolution is I actually come to some to some point of resolution, of, of relaxation, of acceptance. This is a klal. of and In every person, 
This is the chayas in the person, Ratzi Rashaif. It's even expressed in the heartbeat. The way we function, we expand and we uh, contract. contract. Those are the two elements of Ratzi Rashaif, Pashat biologically. And uh, that depends the human life. Hachayis Ratzi Rashaif, the ability to be able to experience a blood flow throughout the body, Hadamu Anefesh, comes from two opposite and paradoxical motions. One is expansion, and then one is the opposite. You retract. And that creates the entire healthy flow in the human body. Biologically, that's an expression of this component, of Ratzi and Shaif. In Jewish life, the Jewish calendar, Alpi Hasidus, is not just a calendar, it's like life moves on. Every Yom Tif is a certain milestone that focuses it, that focuses on a specific energy. Pesach Upchinas Ratzi, Shmuas Upchinas Shaif. Pesach the focus is Ratzi. You're leaving Mitzrayim, you're running away. Kibarachim, you're running away from Egypt. Shvuas, the concept of Shvuas is Shaif, it's his man of Matan So in the relationship of man and God, there's two different phases, Ratzi and Shaif. And each one is a blessing, each one has its own. Virtues, its own unique qualities, its own, its own challenges as well. Pesach is the exodus of Egypt. And as the Pesach says, it was Chipazin means in haste. Like the Pesach says in Parshish Re'ei, you should eat it with Chipazin in haste. That's in Parshish Boy. I said Parshish Re'ei. The first night of Pesach, he says, you should eat. The food bechipazin in haste. Oksiv another pasuk says bechipazin yatsasemeretz mitzrayim. You left mitzrayim in haste. The Jews, in other words, were running away. So on one level, it means they were running away because the mitzrayim said go, 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 and they wanted to get out of there. On another level, it means you're running somewhere because you want to get away from where you are, and therefore you're running, you're rushing, you're completely frustrated with where you are, and you're just searching, you're seeking, you're aspiring. That's Yitzias Mitzrayim. <coughs> This was not on their own necessarily. Rather, there was a tremendous outburst, there was a tremendous explosion of divine love, like we say in the Haggadah. The dough couldn't become, couldn't become sour, couldn't become leavened. Hashem revealed Himself and He liberated them. In other words... There was a tremendous revelation and awareness, and this created within them a yearning, let's get out of Mitzrayim. So it's not only a geographical description here, we're speaking about an existential description that's perpetual. This process is not about you're physically in Egypt and you leave. Sometimes in life you have a certain revelation, and you're like, I'm out, I'm out of here, that's it, I'm quitting, I'm done. Whatever you're out of, it could be a dysfunctional job you're in, dysfunctional relationship you're in, a dysfunctional addiction you're in, or a dysfunctional other state, or even functional, but very limiting. It's not for me. You have a certain experience, and you say, why am I being in a cage? I'm out. That always includes a feeling of frustration. Frustration with the status quo, seeking a new life, a new reality, a higher state, a better state, whatever that state may be. That's what you see as much And that's always bechipozen. I'm running, I'm rushing, there's a haste. That's what happened. Kibarach ha'am. 
When Mashiach comes, it says, Yeshaya Hanavi says, Yeshaya Hanavi prophesizes in Perikon and Beis in Yeshaya, you will not leave in haste. You will not go out running. He continues, It's going to be with shuva v'nachas, with, with nachas, with, with tranquility, with rest. What does this mean? Because... Mashiach represents a time when you won't have to be running away from the status quo. The world will be a refined place. They're running away from the Egypt that's in them. They're running away from the pirate that's in them. What's the expression? You could take the Jew out of uh, you could take the Jew out of Mitzrayim. You can't always take Mitzrayim out of the Jew. So that's where they were running away from a part of themselves. But Mashiach comes, it's going to be a holistic self. It's going to be wholesome, so you don't have to run away from yourself. So it's a much more elevated state. The first level of Geula is, I run away actually from certain parts in myself. I have to be able to say, this I don't want to associate myself with, and I'm going to run away from it. Even though it's there, it's lurking, and it invites me back to Egypt. In recovery, for example, people know there's always a voice in them that says, come back, come back to Mitzrayim. It's a much better place. It's a place of familiarity. There's always that voice. And you have to acknowledge it, and you have to say, I'm running away from it. There comes a state of labor minus, you don't have to run from anything, because there's no opposite voice. But this was in haste. This represents spiritually a state of rotsoy, a state of running, from a lower space, to a higher space. doesn't mean geographically, it means conceptually. From a place of mata, a lower paradigm of reality, lamaila to a higher paradigm of reality. All ratzoi comes from pain, from experiencing the limitations of where I am and the unwillingness to be stuck in the mata, and I'm searching for maila. That's ratzoi. Shvuis represents a different paradigm, which is shoiv, which is returning. Meaning, what does this mean? I skipped the parentheses, which is a footnote basically from the Tzamech Tzedek with a bunch of references. So I went after that. Shvuas is returning. What happens by Matan Teira? Hashem reveals His will Lamata to the people below. You see the opposite here. It's not Milmata Lamaila, it's Milmaila Lamata. What happens on Matan Teira is God makes peace with the world, so to speak. He articulates His will for humanity. He articulates His will for the souls of the Jewish people that are living below. It's not a yearning to go up from here. I want to leave. I want to go up. On the contrary. This is He allows, He, he, he embraces the world. He creates a plan, a blueprint for life in this world. So Pesach is the, the motion of Ratzoi, Shvuas is the motion of, of Shuv, and both motions are essential to the spiritual, healthy life. There's no Ratzoi without Shuv, there's no Shuv without Ratzoi, both of them together, and in the calendar, these are the two phases of Pesach and Shvuas. The Pesach says, Laman Tishker Shem Tzeschem Etzbesam Kol we all know the famous Pasuk in Re'eh, you should remember Yitzhiyah's Mishram your whole life. K'maymer Hazal, Chazal say, it's a Mishnah, Psachim, we say it in the Haggadah, the end of Psachim. 
Every generation doesn't mean every generation, you know, once in 25 years. It means Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is a process that is actually daily. Why? Because Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is a challenge that exists every day. Every day I have to ask myself, am I capable of leaving the restrictions that I'm in today? Yesterday's Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is not enough for today. Because I will fall into other restrictions. So every day there's a process of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. It's not I'm remembering what happened three and a half thousand years ago. That too. I'm remembering that the possibility of three and a half thousand years ago still exists today. The primary time of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. When did Chazal set it up? When do we do this mitzvah? We do it in Krishna. Because we mention Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim in the third parsha of Krishna. We start off, but why they put it into Krishna? It's a separate mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to say Krishna. It's a mitzvah to say Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Remember Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Why? So Balatanya believes that Krishna is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We start off Kriyashma Vahafta. You should love. You should love. This is the beginning of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. The ability to be able to experience a love to truth, a love to God. This is the beginning. And then you finish. You finish Kriyashma. You started with Vahafta. There's some yearning. There's some love. Vahafta Hashem this love to truth, to emes, to Hashem, this will result ultimately in Ani Hashem Alekechem Asher Tzayis more specifically, Min Baruch Shamer At Krishna, who Achanosh Yavu Lepchinas Yitzis Mitzrayim Vahafta Chul. The whole process of davening is really a Yitzis Mitzrayim. Remember, Min Atayre, the whole davening really should exist only of Krishna. That's it. You read Krishna, you're done. There's no mitzvah of Baruch Shama, those were all added later. Why? So the Balatanya says that's all a preparation to be able to experience Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and Vahafta. The whole process of davening is a build-up to be able to go out of your own Mitzrayim. So the Chachamim and Mesakim, Sukkot Zimra and the blessings before Krishna, which ultimately allow a person to understand and appreciate what godliness is, what the universe is really all about, and therefore create a desire to go out of your Meitzarim, because if not, you ultimately could become smug and complacent and comfortable in it. Where does Psukkot Zimri prepare you for this? Vahainus, he begins, and when a person begins to meditate, Eich, Shekol Tzvah HaShamayim L'cham Ishtachavim, Vahifanim, he goes through a bunch of expressions, Vahifanim V'chayis HaKadosh Barash Gadol, which is actually a quote from Nusach Ashkenaz, Keser of Mustafa Rosh Hashanah. It's not Nusach Svard or Nusach Ari, which is the Balatanya's Nusach. It's in Keser of Nusach Ashkenaz and Mustafa Rosh Hashanah. So somebody has to dive in Nusach Ashkenaz to understand what he's saying here. But this is an expression. Hachayes Zois. Which means the living creatures are zois. They're uh, uh, trembling. Uh, trembling, yeah, like sweating, trembling. Mechel kisi from the valor of the throne. Noisois, they carry and they're carried with the throne. And then he quotes Elef Alafim Viribu Yavavan Yishamshune. 
So Hachayi Zayis Michel Kisei is from Kester Musaf Rishashana. Noisus of Nesayis and Kisei is an expression from from that piyut also. Then he says Elif Alafim Vidibiravavin Yisham Shunei thousands and myriads serve him as an expression from Daniel. But he's putting all of this into Pesukah de Zimra and Berches Krishma because a major part of Berches Krishma is all about the Ifanim and the Chayis Hakodesh Viraj Gadol Masnasa. So he's bringing also other Pesukim, even though we don't say those verses in in actual Berches Krishma. The Kulam Hein Bebchin is Bittel Tamit, and all of them are in a state of perpetual Bittel, in a state of perpetual um, uh, nullification relationship with Hashem. All of these Malachim, he's describing their deep relationship. That's what we also say in Ashrei. To let know to people his strength and the glory of his Malchus. What's Hadar Malchusai? The glory, the Hadar, the, 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 the Hadar is the, the beauty of his Malchus. It's recognizing. Where do you see? Allowing people to understand this, the bitl of the Malachim al which is explained in Davening, this is the Hadar, where they see the beauty of his Malchus, the splendor of his Malchus, that all of these Malachim are nullified to him, and the reason they experience this relationship is, they represent what we say right after, that they understand that your Malchus is the Malchus of all the worlds, your kingship, your malchus is the malchus of all the world's meaning, pirush. Malchuscha, shechius, kala ilumis, eni alimimchines, malchuscha, aras shmoi bilvat. They understand that the life force of all the worlds is your midas malchus. It's your attribute of malchus that ultimately gives chayas to all the worlds. You wanted to be a melech, ein melech belayam. So that malchus, that desire for a relationship is ultimately what vitalizes all the worlds. And now he says deeper that all the chayas of all the worlds only comes from Malchus, which represents a ha'ara, a ray of his name, as he's going to explain what this means. So this is all an introduction to understand what is the awareness that is creating such a powerful relationship in the Malachim, which ultimately brings a person to be able to experience their own spiritual Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, as we will see as he goes on to explain. Question the luchos are from Sapir, yeah. But is there some connection between it's like yeah. preparation by, yeah. by by doing spirits on which is Sapir? To the luchos. Well, Shavuos is a time of the luchos, so that, it has to be connected. Why Dafka Evan Sapir could be. Right. I don't know. You're saying because the luchos was Sapir, could be. I don't know. So there's a process. Of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim every single day. What's the process of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim every single day? That every person finds themselves in various confinements and shackles, whatever they may be, smaller or bigger, and we'll soon see that those shackles may be very sophisticated ones. In other words, you have sometimes a person is imprisoned in a very toxic way, and that's part of the human condition. We are confined literally in emotional chains which dictate certain behavior or certain attitudes. So they're pshita you need a Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. And constantly, it's a daily challenge. You'll have the marshal, a person, that every time 
every single time a particular individual, say, in his family calls him, it triggers tremendous anger or tremendous frustration or tremendous bitterness. To some people, their wife calls them, they just hear the voice, they already are going crazy. And they immediately become cynical and, and distant. It's nice people. A minute before, this guy is a saint. People come, see him, they speak to him, they consult him, he helps them, he's generous, he has a good heart. So it's, he calls himself evil, he's really not evil, but there's some trigger. His wife calls him, somebody else calls him, and, and it just triggers up stuff within himself where he completely is forced almost to become distant, to become cynical, to become detached. You know what I'm talking about? And it's, it's, it's really very sad because he's in a prison. It's not that he's choosing evil. He's not an evil guy. He's in a prison. There's a voice or somebody that's triggering stuff within himself about himself. So you're making me feel something about myself, and I may not even know what it is. Somehow it's bringing up so many stuff, and the only way I can deal with it is by, by distancing myself from it because it's too painful, and I don't want to look at it. So that is a type of a very concrete and very real emotional type of meitzer gvul. In other words, I'm very restricted. I'm like in a confined box. I'm not free. I'm stuck in a place and this this will constantly trigger it and I cannot get out of it. There's nothing, I don't, I don't even know how to get out of it. So I'm mamish stuck in that place. I cannot live an expansive free life. So that's one level of Mitzrayim. But then you have Mitzrayim on more subtle levels and more subtle levels. The Balatanya is basically maintaining that the whole process of Psukka de Zimra, the whole davening, the whole introduction of davening that was introduced by Chazal is really all a preparation for a person to be able to experience an emotional Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim during Kriyashma. They put Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim into Kriyashma because Kriyashma is the experience when you leave Mitzrayim. And that's why, how do you finish Kriyashma? Ani Hashem Alekeichem Mitzrayim right now. The same God, I'm your God, who helps you come out of your Mitzrayim, that I should actually be able to be your God. So this is your experience of Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. But in order to be able to leave that Mitzrayim, it always has to do with awareness and mindfulness. Because all emotions have to do with how you think about things. Emotions are not created in a vacuum. We think they are, but they're not. The way we, I, we, we look at, the way we, we view something is the way we feel about it. Huh? Yeah. Perception is what triggers, Perception is what triggers, creates, or reveals emotion, whatever the proper term for it is. So, Bemela, the way I think about it, the way I think about life, the way I think about myself, the way I think about the universe, about God, is ultimately going to define the emotional state of the person, including their ability to be able to leave their own Egypt, to be able to leave their own Meitzarim Ugvulim. So, the whole davening essentially is a meditation of mindfulness, to bring a person into that space where they could say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad, V'ahavtas Hashem Alekecha, and have an experiential experience of it, and then finish off, Ani Hashem Alekecha Mashaytesi Yaschem Eretz Mitzrayim, which is actually the spiritual and emotional exodus of Egypt, and it's a daily struggle, that's why there's davening every day, because it's not like status quo is, I'm a free man. Status quo, I'm going to go right back in to that place of confinement, whatever those confinements are. And there's a daily reinvention or a daily meditation that a person has to recreate within themselves 
to enter into a state of redemption, to enter into a state of gu'ula on a personal and emotional and psychological and spiritual level. So what he said is that from Baruch Sha'amar, basically, all the way up, he's mentioning here Baruch Sha'amar because that was Takanas Chazal to say Pesukah de Zimra. Karbanis is more Minhagim that were added later. So therefore, that's where he says Pesukah de Zimra, this is all the Hachana for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, which is basically, basically the Vahaftas Hashem, Hashem Alekech. Now, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, as I said, exists on many different levels. What for one person is freedom, is for another person slavery. What for another person is freedom is, you know, it's, it's, it's always on a more subtle level. It's like onions of, of, it's like layers of an onion, peels of an onion. You peel one layer, there's still another, there's still another layer, and so it goes. So yesterday's gulas mitzrayim is today's gulas mitzrayim. Yesterday's expansive state is today's trap. And that's one of the greatest traps of life, because yesterday I was doing so well. You're right, but today it became a new trap. Yesterday's invention or discovery becomes a place where we get stuck today because we want to stick there. We want to stay there. You have to always re- have the ability to reinvent. So here we're going to see Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim reaches very subtle levels where even there could be a spiritually enlightened Mitzrayim. And it's still a, a source of Mitzrayim. And that's the meditation he's now going to discuss because it's important to understand that Mitzrayim exists on so many so many different levels, and the truth is that the highest level of Mitzrayim is ultimately connected to the lowest level of Mitzrayim, even though it's just very, very subtle, but it's nonetheless a distortion. So one of the main meditations he's bringing out is Malchus Chamalchus Kolay in Asher. Malchus Chamalchus Kolay literally means your Malchus is the Malchus of all the worlds. What does it mean your Malchus is the Malchus of all the worlds? A regular melech is barely a melech over his own Dalit Amis or his own city or his own, or his own state or his own country or whatever the, 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 the geographical territory that his monarchy extends to or extends over. Malchus Cha, your Malchus is Malchus Koloilamim. It's a Malchus that extends and encompasses all of the universes, this world and all the worlds, that's Pshut Mikra of Tehillim, Kapitel Kuf Memhei, which we know as Ashre. <laughs> you know, Ashre is a very interesting mizma. I once saw an article quoted from a Christian, a Christian priest. They asked him, what's the most inspiring chapter in the Bible? What makes your heart melt? So he wrote Psalms 145. Now come to a Jew and show him Psalms 145, it's Ashrei. How many people melt when they read Ashrei? We're so accustomed to it, we don't even know what it says in Ashrei. It's Ashrei is, is the classic. It's the classic. It's the classic, you say, Ashrei, right? It was very interesting to read, because really the poetry of Ashrei is stupendous. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. The Gemara says, Chazal saying Ashrei. But we say it so much, and so often, and so frequent, three times every day, twice by Shachras, and once by Mincha. And some people are Mahadir even to say it sometimes, if they're saying Tehillim or whatever. So Ashrei became a very monotonous, uh, you know, here we go, Ashrei. Esokt Ashrei, right? So really we uh, divorce ourselves from the ability of getting excited, because it becomes monotonous. But really the words of Ashrei are very, very meaningful. Bechlal Tehillim. 
So here he's discussing the words Malchus Chamalchus Kol Eilamim. So on one level, it says that. And look at the Torah, he takes it to a deeper level. And that's what he's describing here. That the, the, the kvetch is Malchus Chamalchus Kol Your Malchus is Malchus Kol What's the vart here? The vart is, let's see, Aideisha Masigim Ki Malchus Chamalchus Kol you see, the line starts, Malchus Chamalchus Kol Eilam. It's around 10 lines from the bottom, Lamed Hay, second column, page, 20, page 69. They comprehend Malchus Chamalchus Kol Eilam, Pirush. And when he says Pirush, it doesn't mean this is the literal interpretation. Pirush means it's a deeper, more spiritual, more Kabbalistic, Hasidic interpretation. Pirush means as follows Malchus Shechius Kol Eilam is Ene Elam Abchinus Malchus Haaras Shmoy Bulvat. The vitality of Koloi Lamim comes from Malchuscha, which represents Ha'aras Shmoy Bilvad. Literally, the ray, only the ray of his name. That's what Malchuscha. So Malchuscha, Malchus Koloi Lamim means Koloi Lamim. The vitality of all the worlds. What is it rooted in? It's rooted in Malchuscha. What is Malchuscha? Ha'aras Shmoy Bilvad. The ray of his name. What does this mean? Unlike the soul giving life to the body. At the very core of the life of the soul is invested and manifested, enclosed. Malubash literally means enclosed, like you're enclosed in a garment. It's enclosed literally in the guf mamish. When we speak about the essence of God, we remember always that there's an element of exaltedness. Nothing can ultimately dress it up and grasp it and have it become defined by it. Like when you put on a suit, so you're, so to speak, grasped by it. The hand is in the glove and that defines it. It, so to speak, traps it. It confines it. The guf has the neshama. For the years that a person is alive in this world, they work through the guf. There's no ability to extricate yourself from that. People sometimes try their whole life to do that through a lot of different types of methods. But generally, I have to make peace with my body. If you can't make peace with your body, you can't live. Just to escape from your body all the time is not a seder. So the neshama is journeying in the body. He says, when it comes to Hashem, although the chiyus of Hashem is in the world, it's ancient of a it's not trapped by it. There's nothing confining it that that becomes its definition. And therefore, you can, always, you can always speak about the fact that he was, he is, and will be without change. As the Pasuk puts it, I have not changed the Pasuk in Malachi. So again, literally what the Pasuk means is, God says, nobody destroyed me. I have not changed and you have not perished. I am eternal and you're eternal. That's on one level. On a deeper level, what he's saying, Ani Hashem Nisi is that even the very creation does not create a change. Like we say, This is in the beginning of Tfilis Hashacha, right? We say, What does it mean? It doesn't mean you were there before you were there after. It means belishum shinoi klal. There was no change in the way you were there before and after. What do you mean there was no? Of course there was a change. Kaidim shinivra and there was only you. Acha shinivra elam. There's you and there's a world that you created. The chiddush here is ani Hashem loy shinisi. 
that there's absolutely no shinui. What's pshat? Because absolutely nothing can cover or eclipse him. There's no dysfunction and no energy or reality in the world that ultimately can block his full intimate expression. Which is very good news because that means there's always a space where you're completely intimate with God and nothing can stop or block it. I, there is a whole universe. So he says, The life and vitality of all the worlds, which also comes from God, this is defined by the words, Baruch Shem Kvoid Malchusai, which has in it a lot of interesting words. Blessed is the name of the glory of his Malchus. Baruch Shem Kvoid Malchusai, which is similar to Malchus Chamalchus Kalaylam. Vizel Malchus Chamalchus Kalaylam. All the worlds. Although we're dealing with thousands of thousands. And Ribuyrivavan is myriads of myriads. Ribuy is ten thousand. So it's thousands and thousands and ten thousands and ten thousands. Kamay Shakasov the Pasik says in Iyev, Hayesh Misperligdudov. Will there be a number to his legions? And the Gemara says in Chagigim, in Allah from earth to heaven is a is is a walk of five hundred is is it takes five hundred years to get me and then the Gemara says between one Rakia and another Rakia, basically different terms of Chazal to describe the infinite expansiveness of our universe. So that's all true. Still, all this is Malchuscha im you cannot, there's no erich between them and his light and his presence. Shubchinus ain't safe mamish, because his oir is literally infinite. O that's known, shafilu, very interesting metaphor. Shafilu echad lagabi ribu revavan, yeshloi erich shulchele katin mimen. One relative to myriads and myriads, there's an erich because it's a part of it. In other words, what's the relation between one dollar and say a hundred billion dollars? Very small. If you take away one dollar from a hundred billion dollars, it's not very noticeable. But could you say that they're not connected? Of course they're connected. What is a hundred billion dollars? If not, a hundred billion ones. And therefore each one is a part of it. A small fraction, true. An infinitesimal of a fraction. Not very significant, but you know what? If you start taking away ones every minute, ultimately you're going to make a dent because even one, there's a difference. It's a small part, a tiny, 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 but a part. But what about But what about if you have theoretically an infinite number of, of dollars? We know practically nobody has an infinite number because ultimately it has a sheer. But theoretically speaking, what's the relationship between one a million, a billion, a trillion to infinity. He says here, when you're dealing with infinity, then there's absolutely no erich, no value, no measure to, 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 to one. Why? Because, let's understand, one, two, three, four ultimately make up the billion, the hundred billion. And if you take every, every second you take off one, ultimately you're going to lose the money. It makes a dent. But what about if you have an infinite amount of dollars? So now, a hundred is not closer to it, a thousand is not closer to it, a million, a billion is not closer to it. You're not getting any closer to it. 
And if you take away one and you take away a billion, it's the same thing. One and a hundred billion are equally remote from infinity. They're equally remote from infinity. You say, but this is a hundred billion dollars. Ain't a chanami. But Lagabe infinity, a hundred billion and one are mamish the same. It's not getting you closer, any closer to your ultimate destination. And if you take away a hundred billion, it's like you took away one. It's mamish. It doesn't make any chilik. doesn't make a difference. Even though it's so much more. So when you're dealing in the world of gvul, then there's a big difference. This is small and this is large. And ultimately, even one is significant. When you're dealing in the world of gvul, so then one and ten and a hundred, a thousand, a million trillion, it's all the same. The mail. What's how does this concept Okay, same? one second. Okay. The spiritual creatures, the Srafim, the Malachim, he spoke the Chayis HaKodesh, they comprehend this very well. And therefore they're always in a state of Bittl. What's the Nekuda? The Nekuda here is, the Kvetch here is on Malchus. Now here he says it, the Kitsi just says three words, Ha'aras Shmoibelvat, but in other discourses, in other essays, in other Maimon the Balatanya is a little more elaborate. When we say the word malchus, that word is a very significant word. Because the true definition of malchus, he associates it here with a shame. Baruch shame kvoid malchus Let's talk about a person's name. A name a human being doesn't need for himself. In other words, if I was living on an island, I don't need my name. Not my name literally, and not a name in terms of reputation. In fact, when you speak to yourself, when you think, you don't usually identify yourself by your name. Like you don't say, oh, good morning, uh, David, good morning, Yankel, good morning, Chaim. Some people maybe do that. But uh, generally speaking, you don't say, okay, um, Chaim, I have to go get a drink. Uh, I have to go to work. You, you, you are you. The name is for the person outside of you who wants to identify you and communicate you so they need a name. That's a name. So in other words, a name represents something. The name represents the PR dynamic of the person, the PR dynamic, the public relation persona of the person. The way I experience you, the way, even when we say a, this person has a name, he has a reputation, right? Keser Shemtev, or the, other, or the opposite of Keser Shemtev. What does this mean? This means the way you are perceived by others. The definition of a name is allowing me to identify you, to call you, to relate to you, to phone you, to speak to you. To, to communicate with you, so you have a name. That is associated with Malchus. What is really Malchus? Malchus means leadership, kingship. The true definition of leadership is, I don't need to be a Melech because I have a void that I want to fill. There's two types of leaders in the world. There's a leader who needs leadership in order to get validation. This is my rosebud. I need the people to adore me, or to listen to my speeches, or to nominate me or to uh, be infatuated by me, or to make me a celebrity, because internally, I don't like myself. That leader is not really a leader. He's ultimately a follower, because his whole power is coming from the fact that he's getting validation from the people. So ultimately, how can he lead? The Gemara says at the end of Saita, the Mishnah, at the end of Saita, the Be'ikvis Meshicha, Pnei Adarka, Pnei HaKelev, the face of the generation will be like the face of the dog. So the Bishol Salanter, once said, what's Prat Pnei Adarik Pnei HaKelev? So he said, a Kelev always runs ahead of the master. But when it comes to a fork in the road, the Kelev always turns around to see where the master wants to go. 
You have leaders of the generation. Whenever they come to a fork, they always turn around to see what does the Das Hakal say? What does this Gvir say? What does this Balabas say? What does the Oilam say? And then they make a decision. They're taka running ahead. They're the face of the generation. But he said it's Kipnei HaKalev. This was Rebisal Salanta's description about a certain form of leadership. Obviously, that's not leadership because if my sense of self is dependent on your approval and validation. So what type of self is it? There's, no, there's absolutely no self, there's absolutely no leadership. The whole definition of leadership is contingent that you're going to smile to me and you're going to say you're a good guy. And the moment I feel that the polls are going the other way, boom, my position changed. Genuine leadership comes from a place of wholesomeness, meaning I actually don't need it. In fact, if you look in Jewish history, the greatest leaders were those for whom it was actually a punishment. They felt that leadership would compromise them. Why? Because they were wholesome within them own, their own relationship with God. Take Moshe Rabbeinu, right? He's arguing with Hashem for seven days. Yeah. We had a mayor in New York who paid $100 million from his own money to sponsor his campaign, to help him campaign. You have others that, for them, Fakert, it says about the Baal Shem Tev, that uh, he was punished. <laughs> That Achia uh, Shiloini came to him and said, because of some sin you did, uh, whatever the sin of love, therefore you're punished, that you're going to have to reveal yourself. <laughs> Why is that a punishment? Because it's, it takes you away from your dvekas, it takes you away from your, from your, ultimate, your, ultimate, your ultimate true self. They do it because of a sense of duty, a sense of responsibility, a sense that this is what God wants from me. This is a mission. Then I can actually lead. I can actually lead because... I'm not trying to fill a void. Rather, that void is filled. So the real idea of Malchus is that it's not about the person himself. Malchus basically is the power of the person to lead others. That's not coming because they're missing something. They need it for their own perfection. All the other attributes, Chachma, Bina, Das, Chesed, Gvura, these are attributes that make up the human persona. What is Malchus? Malchus doesn't make up the human persona. It doesn't make many, in, in the real Malchus, it doesn't fill my void, it doesn't complement me in the sense that without it, I don't have Shleimus. On the contrary, without it, the person is completely fine. And there's nothing in them that's driving them to it in order to fill something that they feel is lacking. And therefore, their Malchus, once they choose Malchus, it can be very, very powerful. It can be very real. Because the focus here is what the people need. What the generation needs. And that's a very deep type of malchus. It's a very deep type of leadership. It's leadership that comes from ultimate confidence and therefore can be ultimately selfless. Because it's not here again to fill my own yearnings, my own voids. Now, on a spiritual level, what would this mean in this context here? When we say malchuscha, malchus kaloy lamim, we say the chiyos of all the worlds comes from Midas HaMalchus. What's Midas HaMalchus? When the Rebbeinu Shalom decided to create worlds, was it to fill a need? What do we mean to fill a need? If Hashem is a definition of perfection, so there was no need that had to be filled. When we create things, it's because we have a need. I create a business because I need the revenue. I create a website or an organization or a movement to fill a certain need. We invent things, we discover things, we create whatever we create in order to fill needs. And that's what our industry 
revolves around. We have needs. We need health. We need money. We need life. We need peace. We need order. We need structure. We need our, our uh, we need water, etc. That's how life works. Needs create relationships. Needs create industry, and that's that's a that's a good thing. What need did God have that said, "Oh, now it's time to create the world"? What need was it? What was the need? We are not perfect, so we have we're needy. We need it. We need camaraderie. We need a social life. We're lonely. We're bored. We're empty. We're we're impoverished. We need support for everything, for, for our health, for our physical well-being, our emotional well-being, etc., family, and so forth. What type of need was there? This is what Hasidus means when it says that creation comes from Malchus. This is the key word. Malchus Malchus The need was that there was absolutely no need. What was it? It was an, a desire to have a relationship. The desire to have a relationship, not because I'm needy without the relationship. It's a desire to have a relationship because I'm choosing to connect my life to somebody else because I want to give. I want to give. I want to have a relationship with you, not so that you should make me not lonely. That's a different type of relationship. It's a relationship because I want to share with you. And not because by sharing with you and being with you, I'm going to have something. He's not going to have anything. What is he going to have? What is it that was missing that's going to be complemented? It's rather a choice, a complete choice, a free choice, that I want to have a relationship with you, not for the sake of filling a void in me. I have no void. So why do I want the relationship? Because I want to be with you, completely to be with you. In a way, it's the deepest form of a relationship. Because if it's to fill a void, the relationship is as deep as the void. If it's not to fill a void, it's just a choice. So my whole essence chose it. And therefore it's the deepest type of relationship. In a funny way. You understand why? Because it's not dependent on filling of the void. It's an absolute, it's absolute. My whole essence is there. I'm not connecting to you because I'm missing something. I'm connecting to you with my, my being. Not my lack of being. Not my lack of being. A person was created in the image of God. So therefore, we have that same thing in ourselves. As long as I don't have a relationship where I'm giving, ultimately, my midas ha-malchus is not here. All my midas could be here, but there's a quality called malchus. Malchus is ein melech beloyam. I cannot be a leader over myself. I cannot give only to myself. Malchus is the quality that Hashem wanted to be in a relationship. Malchus ay kiblu what is he going to gain from a relationship? What is he going to gain from it? So he's in a relationship. So what happens now? He's less lonely. He has somebody to talk to. Ultimately, I have no, we have no rational explanation for that. What we know is what, not why, because it's actually before there's a why. It's higher than why, because rationality is also a creation. So that's why in a person also, the Midas HaMalchus is that there is a quality in a person that if I don't give for the sake of giving... Ultimately, I am not I. Because if the eye of man reflects the eye of God, part of my eye is that I'm in a relationship just for your sake, not for my sake. So any relationship that's always dependent on what am I going to get from you, that's one type of relationship. But for a person to be truly a person, for a person to ultimately actualize the humanness in a person, I need to be involved in a relationship simply to be here for you. 
It's one of the most important ideas that's missing from the secular conversation today in society. It's always what's in it for me. For example, marriage. What's marriage? What's in it for me? Is it working? Is she meeting your needs? That's the expression every therapist will ask you. Are your needs being met, whether his needs or her needs? Now, that's very important. Your needs have to be met. If you're in a relationship that your needs are being deprived, met, it's not good, obviously. But there's something else that's not discussed. There's a major, major to be a human being is to be godlike. To be godlike means that you're in a relationship just to give. Just to give. That itself is ultimately the sign of being a true human being, including that's where Midas HaMalchus comes out. And in a funny way, that's where man reflects God mostly. In other words, that's where I could become the most myself. Which means that's where I could get the most. (laughs) Because ultimately, once that is who I am, if I don't have that, I'm ultimately not me. A basic need, so to speak, of the human condition is to give beyond my needs and beyond reciprocity. Simply to be there for somebody. That's a major issue. Okay, so let, now let's summarize here, because we still have to, we'll, we'll have to be mamshech here. But malchus chamalchus kalalam is a big side. That this is not about filling my void. What is it? It's about my desire to be in a relationship with you. What do you give me? I can't answer that question. It's not that you give me that I have a terrible void, and therefore you fill it. But rather, I choose to be in a relationship, and that choice ultimately makes it a need. It's not that the need creates the choice, it's the choice creates the need. So does God need us or not need us? In Jewish philosophy, there have been two streams. Yeah, the Balatanya's primary perspective was, we'll learn about this because he tried to reconcile the different views, there was the view of philosophy, God absolutely doesn't need us, and then there's the view of Kabbalah, that there's a very intricate, romantic uh, relationship that's very, uh, very heavy. And both seem very strange. Because if you say God doesn't need us, it's really depressing somewhat. You know what I mean? Imagine when you propose to your kala the night before you say, listen, I'm a perfect guy. I absolutely don't need you. There's nothing you can do that will ever turn me... Uh, that will ever trigger my interests, my love. I am beyond. Remember, I am beyond. I'm Mr. Perfect. The only reason I'm proposing is for your sake. What do you think? What type of marriage is that going to look like? The whole basis of a relationship is, I need you. You do something for me. You touch me very deeply. So many ways, there's this notion in Judaism, many philosophers, I mean, big, big Jews, who said, what are you going to do for God? In Sadak, what are you going to do? You're going to put on tefillin? You're going to keep Shabbos? Go, oh, wow, God, this is wonderful. You're smaller than a speck of dust, right? It's like the ant under this building, the sides. It's going to smile and it's going to turn us on. We don't even notice it. And we're smaller to God, Lagabe the ant. So that was one notion in philosophy. Kabbalah and Zayar, Kabbalah there, everything turned around. There's a relationship, there's passion. God is excited, there's emotions. The Rambam held that Bechal to discuss emotions by God is heresy. This heresy, never, never, never use the, what emotions, what emotions? Emotions is for crazy people who need, who need help. They're constantly emotional, they're unstable. They always fluctuate. What are, you, what are you attributing your problems to God? This was philosophy, cold, rational. God was absolute. The whole Torah mitzvah is just for our sake. 
There's absolutely no need for God. In Kabbalah, the tide changed dramatically, and it was embraced by the Jewish people. There's a very deep emotional God. There's, in Zoyar, God is always the wife, the sister, the brother. The, there's femininity and there's masculinity. It's always a relationship. He's dancing, he's excited, he's sad, and so on and so forth. This is even before Ibn Nachman of Breslov, who Mamish turned God into a, uh, into a very, very uh, emotional being. Right? So this is a different trend, different trend, and the two are really at odds with each other. Uh, the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe, one of his ideas, is he tried to reconcile Mer Nevuchim and Arizal, which was till then not two trends that anybody tried to reconcile. There was the stream of philosophy, there was the stream of Kabbalah, it was different, different, different streams in Judaism, Lainagazebaza. And the Marian of Uchim was somewhat marginalized in the world of Kabbalah, and the world of Kabbalah was marginalized by the Marian of Uchim fans. One of the first to constantly quote Marian of Uchim and Kabbalah and bring one as a support for the other is the works of the Balatanya, already in Tanya constantly. The Marian of Uchim says it, the Rambam says it, the Rambam says it, the Rambam says it. And this wasn't Stam, it was a shitta that he had that you see in his Maimara, that the two actually are really talking about the same reality from different aspects. So one Nikud, and this is the Nikud I just want to bring out here is, you could say, God, God, um, um, God needs us, and that's why he chose us. The way the Balatanya put it is that both are right. God chose, not because he needs, he chose. But once he chose... That creates the profoundest need, more than any need in the world. Because any need in the world is always contingent on the void. A need that comes from choice, that's an infinite need. Because it's not a need that's coming because I'm a nebach, and therefore, I need you, I need you. So it's really a form of codependence. Which, in our world, we all have a little codependence. It's not the most terrible thing. I'm not talking about exaggerated codependence. But the fact that, yes, I'm dependent on you. You know, that, that, that's part of children are dependent on their mother and father. That's beautiful. And parents and, and couples are dependent on each other and so on and so forth. But that's ultimately a very, uh, it's, it's, that relationship has its limitations because it's always there to feed a void. The relationship that's not there to feed a void, it's there ultimately as a choice that comes from the wholesome space. That relationship actually touches my deepest core. Because my core, in all of its healthiness, shows that connection. And when I choose that connection, so then ultimately the need becomes infinite. Because it's not because I'm needy. It's because I don't, I don't choose you because I need you. Right? Because I chose you, therefore I need you. So that because I chose you, therefore there's such a deep romantic relationship. Could we affect God? Of course we affect God. In the world of Kabbalah, and especially Chesidus, especially Balatanya, you affect God in His essence more than anything else. But why do you affect God in His essence? Because His choice in us was a free choice that therefore came from His essence. So His essence chose to be, to be in a relationship. All of this is signified in the word of Malchus, as we will emerge to Hashem continue. What's Malchus and Malchus Kololamim? That is the second part of the question. Okay, well... Could speak about this for a few hours and <laughs> a little more time. <laughs> right? You see on the top of page 70, the second line. 
but myriads upon myriads upon myriads, Lagabi infinity, there's absolutely no erich. That's the mushal of the numbers. One, a thousand, a million, a billion, a trillion, a zillion, ultimately there's an erich. Small, tiny, but there's an erich. One Lagabe, a billion, I can't say, is completely worthless. And sometimes, the richer you are, the more chashivas one dollar has, right? <laughs> Poor people, a dollar a head, a dollar a hen. It's an old word. Al tiftechu benedivim. Don't rely on nedivim. Bevenodom she'en loy teshua. A guy who doesn't have, he'll help you. He'll invite you for Shabbos. He'll give you a lot. Bevenodom she'en loy teshua. I guess anyway, Uncle Sam is anyway paying the bills. God is anyway paying the bills, so it'll be another bill. The Nadivim, you know, he thinks he's in charge of his money, so we may every dollar. So sometimes it's Alderech Hatzacha, sometimes it's the other way around, you know. The more you have, the more one is Choshev, actually. But, uh, huh? <laughs> you know this from experience, Reb Moshe? Emitz Hashem, one day you'll know it from experience, yeah? Really? Okay. Very good. So, Ribri Revavan Lagabe Bligvul is ain't Erech Klal. There's absolutely no Erech. Why? Because a billion is not bringing you closer to your destination. And this is a big sight. When we're dealing with the world of finiteness, one is ultimately part of it. When we're dealing with the world of infinity, one trillion is not closer to it than one or ten. I didn't come any closer to the end because there's no end, it's infinite. And therefore, I take away a billion, I affected it the same way like if I took away one. It, it, doesn't, make, it doesn't make a dent. The spiritual beings, the Chayas HaKadosh, who comprehend this, are constantly in a state of bittel, constantly in a state of oneness. Bittel means that they don't have an ego separate from God. That's the key. Bittel, they're not separate. They don't feel detached. When somebody meditates on all of this with with depth of das, and the term is significant. You could think about something not in depth, just superficially. You could think about something in depth, but without das. Das, as it says in Tanya, is Miloshan Vahadam Yoda Eschava. Adam knew Chava, and she had a child. Now, from knowing people, you don't have children. They don't have a child, but knowledge here is a euphemism for intimacy. So there's Chachma, there's Bina. These are all intellectual states of awareness, cognition. Das doesn't mean I understand it. Das means I connect to it. Sometimes you understand something, and sometimes you see something. You connect to it. It's real. You can understand an abstract truth, but ultimately it won't affect you emotionally because it's not real. There's no intellectual intimacy. doesn't mean he knew Chava, you know, he analyzed Chava, he read her resume. Chava means his kashros, his chabras, there was a zivuk, there was intimacy. So in terms of das, it means that there's intimacy with the concept, intellectually, that I really, really get it. I get it, you know, it's a whole different reality. Sometimes you could tell people something, but they're not capable of getting it. It's a, it's a journey. Anyone who, who's a therapist or has been to therapy knows that a person could sit for two years or three years, and then there's the breakthrough when they get it. They were not capable of getting it. Not because they didn't want to. Maybe they wanted to, but they had too much uh, toxicity or distractions. So Das says, you know, 
I get it. I see it. It's, it's real. It's very real. So he says two things here. You could meditate on things superficially or deeply. And then you could do it with das or without das. But when one does it, then automatically, means as a result of this, he will experience the sense of rotsoy, of yearning. During The yearning to go out. When I love you, it means I want to be close to you. I have a yearning for you. I want to go out of all of my boundary of my restrictions because they all represent a finiteness even that which is a distance of 500 years even spirituality could be a Mitzrayim if it's a concept of they all eclipse the truth to appear as something separate, what I want is to connect to him, to have dveikas, pure infinity, pure bleigvul, to go out of every element of gvul, even ruchnius, which may be extremely elevated and sublimated, and maybe like the billion, but it's still agabe the bleigvul, it's as distant as the one. So what is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? To go out of your own Mitzarim. To go out of your own Mitzarim, that's Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. V'zeu shabagolos Mitzrayim ne'amer b'pare lo yadati es Hashem. Pare tells Moshe Rabbeinu lo yadati es Hashem. I do not know God. Taich is the Balatanya. Pare was a Lamdan. And a Kabbalist. The Hainu. What does it mean? Sheshem havaya lo yadati. Pari doesn't say Hashem. which represents Hoya in the same word, was, is, and will be without any change, which represents the concept here that the change of the world only comes from Malchus, but he himself is this loyadati, Rakshema Lekim. Shemalakim, I do know. What does Yosef tell Paray? Ha'elakim yana eslaim Paray. When Paray asks him to explain his dreams, he says, Ha'elakim yana eslaim Paray. Paray is fine with that. Moshe wants to introduce Shem Yutkei Vavke, he says, Lo yodati es Havaya, Lo yodati es Hashem. Shemalakim, ha'mechas, o master, which eclipses the energy, li'us yesh, v'davah b'fnei atzmei davke, to allow everyone to become a yesh, in other words, to feel that they're ungodly, they're divorced from the divine, that's what a yesh means, that Pare is fine with. What was Golos Mitzrayim? Listen to these words. What's Golos Mitzrayim? Golos Mitzrayim is that your das is in exile. Your das is, that's what exile is. Exile is your das is in exile. Your perception is in exile. That's what Golos Mitzrayim is. Lo yadati es Hashem. My das is incapable of opening itself up to true reality. My das, and that's the real exile. The real exile is always perception. The Gemara says, ain't ani ella bedeya, ain't usher ella bedeya. It begins with perception. Now, of course, Golos Mitzrayim also means physical. They were physically subjugated. But the, the inner concept, the internal mechanism of Golos Mitzrayim is, my das is in Golos. Now, what's the definition of Golos? 
Golos could be a very big Golos also. It could be an expansive Golos, but it's still Golos because I still operate on the level of Gvul and I'm not open to the concept of Bli That's why the end of Krishma, which we explained, is the experience of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. How does Krishma end? Ani Havaya. Ani Hashem Eloi Keichem Eschem. Ani Havaya Dafke, because this is the Yitzhak of Parai. That you take out your das from Golos, and since you take out your das from Golos, this is where Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim actually, uh, actually happens. So, the process of davening is essentially the hachana for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, which happens during Kriyashma, and the mindfulness that Psuki de Zimri and Birches Krishma is trying to create is one that allows a person's das to ultimately be taken out of Golos. How? So this is the two-stage meditation that he's discussing, which he focuses in on the Pasuk Malchus Chamalchus Kalaylamim, but essentially is the theme of many of the Psukim or statements we say throughout Psukim de Zimra and Birchus Krishna. He just focuses on that Pasuk because that Pasuk brings it out very dramatically in Ashe. Malchus Chamalchus Kalaylamim. What was the Nekudah of Malchus Chamalchus Kalaylamim like you asked yesterday at the end of the Shia? So the Nekudah here is, Malchus, as we explained, means kingship. It means royalty. Malchus is associated with a name. A name is not what I need for myself. A name is that which allows you to relate to me. There's a famous medrash that every person has three dimensions to the self. There's who I am, there's who I think I am, and there's who you think I am. Very seldom are the three match. Most people, who you are, and then there's who you think you are. And I would just add, and then there's who your wife thinks you are. <laughs> That's a fourth p'china. That's maybe the most accurate. Maybe there's a fifth p'china who your shriga thinks you are. And there's a sixth p'china who your children think you are. That's probably the really accurate one. Because they feel, you know, the, the etzim, the subconscious. Kishem sheim belibcha. What does this really mean? This is the concept of a name. A name is, every one of us has a name. Both in terms of a name, you know, Chaim, Yankel, Shmedel, whatever it is, or a name in terms of a reputation, how people perceive you. But you also have a name for yourself. How do you perceive yourself? We're always telling ourselves messages about ourselves. Is that who we are, or is that who we think we are? Do we even know who we are? Can we relate to ourselves in a place beyond the name? It's very hard to, because the way we get to know ourselves is already with a name. How do you get to know yourself? Usually from the messages you heard about yourself. Who tells you about you? How do you find out who you are? Very few of us find out who we are from ourselves. Other people introduce us to ourselves. Now that's pretty pathetic, because they know me, but that's how it is. In life, they introduce you, they say, oh, you're a this, you're a that, you're a this, you're that, shalom aleichem, shlamazel. Shalom Aleichem, Goylem, Shalom Aleichem, whatever it is. Or even positive messages, but exaggerated, self-aggrandizement. So what happens is, it's very hard to get to know yourself beyond your name. A name doesn't only mean what the world thinks of me. It can even be what I think of me. But it's my name. It's my reputation. It's my projection. That's the key, that's the key issue. In the Lushan of the Balatanya, it's called a ziv, a ray, an oir. Take the sun. I don't know the sun. What do I know about the sun? A ray comes into my house. And that's beautiful. And it tells me a lot about the sun. But how much of the sun is in that ray? What in the sun is that ray? It's basically the way the sun is projected 
in my house. And it's very significant because it illuminates it. It brings me a lot of light. But it's a projection. It's a ha'ara. And that's an accurate projection. Sometimes you have names that are inaccurate. You don't even know who the guy is. Reb Nachman of Breslov, they say he once came to Hasana. And at the Hasana, you know, he had quite a lot of opposition. So Ayid came over and started to scream at him and denigrate him. And he was very calm. He was cool and collective. So when the person finished letting out, venting all of his own issues on Reb Nachman, so one of his Hasidim or his Gabbai says, says Rebbe, I can understand that you were in control and you didn't uh, lose yourself. But I saw that you had an internal calmness. How did you develop that internal calmness? When somebody screams at you this way, insults you, denigrates you, you know, you heat up. How did you, I saw that too. So, you know, if somebody who's emotionally insensitive, you couldn't care less, you know, you have tough skin. But you're not like that. So how is it that you're an impressionable person? How is it that you could just... uh, Remain calm. So he told him something very profound. He said, if you would come into Hasana, somebody would come over to you and say, Ganev, give me back the 75,000 ruble that you stole from me, that you borrowed and you never paid back. And you look at him and you say, I never borrowed any money from you. It's like, yeah, stop lying, you're Ganev. He says, who do you think you're talking to? He says, I'm talking to... uh, Chaim Yankel, he says, oh, my name is, uh, my name is David. He says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I thought you were somebody else. You have a similar face. Fine, what would you do? You would move on. Would you be, uh, would you be venting and furious for days and weeks? No, why not? He says, the guy made a mistake, he doesn't know me. Rabbi Nachman says, that guy also doesn't know me. <laughs> that guy made the same mistake. The only difference is, in the second case, he doesn't even know your face. He doesn't even know your name. In the first case, he happens to know my name, but he doesn't know me. So why should, well, what's the problem? He thinks he knows me. He's not talking about me. He's talking about the Nachman of Bresla that he imagined in his mind. He's not talking about me, so what do you want? There was a very profound idea in that. He did not allow his identity to be controlled by another person's perception. Because that's the beginning of a state where you're not really living. Alright? I'm living in somebody else's perceived mind. And that person is living in somebody else's perceived mind. So this is a very delicate issue where there's a distinction between who I am, who I think I am, who you think I am. So sometimes you have a name that's inaccurate. I don't know the guy. I deci- we decide who people are based on what? Based on who we are, not based on who they are. How many people really take the time? Where you really know the person? Who do we know? We don't know anybody. We barely know ourselves. We know other people. Do you, how much do you know about yourself? We don't know 99% about ourselves. We know one little percent. So you think you know somebody else? You can't even figure out your own Meshagas. You're going to figure out somebody else's Meshagas? So most names are not even accurate. But let's say the name is accurate. But what is it? It's a projection. It's the way you're perceived. The way you're perceived is never about you. It's the way you can be perceived by another mind. It's the way I perceive the sun. If the sun itself would come into this room, we wouldn't be alive. If the sun, in fact, would be a little closer to our planet, or our planet would be a little closer to our sun, it wouldn't be very good for us. We appreciate the sun because we're at a distance of it. The sun itself would burn up the world. 
It's one of the nephloyas of creation that you, when you look at the position of the planet, the distance with the sun is unique because if it would be further, we would freeze. If it would be closer, not much closer, we would, we would be scorched. We, we wouldn't be able to survive. What does this teach us now? Let's now go back to the nimshal. The nimshal here is malchus chamalchus kalaylame. Leadership, malchus, is essentially the shame. The job of the leader is not, the job of the leader is to be there for the people, to focus on their needs, not to focus on his own shlemus, on his own perfection. Or to put it differently, what are the people getting from the melech? What are the people getting from malchus? They're they're getting his ability to inspire them, to lead them, to invigorate them. In other words, it defines him in terms of his relationship, in terms of his skills on the people, in terms of his reputation to the people. Like we say in Nikra. He has the name of the Melech. So the Balatanya explains elsewhere that's very Bidiuk. Melech Shmoy Nikra. The relationship to the Melech is in terms of his Shmoy. Who the Melech is essentially? I may never know who the Melech is essentially. In fact, it's none of my business. And the Malchus is not there in order to fill that void. On the contrary. It would have been much easier for Moshe Rabbeinu or the other Melech to remain himself because Malchus means I have to go out of myself. I actually have to think about you. Moshe now has to dedicate his life to think about Dosan and Aviram and Kairach and Mesainim and Maragl. Every Monday and Thursday, another mutiny, another issue. He didn't need it. He was happy in his desert with his flock in communion with God, because he didn't need it. Fakert, it was like Hashem had to get upset at him, why didn't he need it? Because it was stepping away from himself. And that's what real leadership means. Real leadership is, ask not what the people can do for you, ask what you can do for the people. I think that puts it well. Ask not what the people can do for you, that's a deep thing. It's not about what the people can do for me. It's what I can do for the people. And what I can do for the people may actually be opposite of what I could do for myself. It may take me completely away from what I could do for myself. Because this is the need of the people. In other words, the concept of malucha is who I am in terms of you. How I can benefit you. How I could be here for you. That takes a lot of humility and a lot of selflessness. How I could be here for you. It's not about me. We all know in a relationship it's one of the most important issues, right? Your wife shares with you how stressful her day is, and she's very, very intense about it. One of the poorer decisions men make is they start giving solutions. They start explaining why she's wrong. They start explaining her she doesn't understand, she doesn't this, which only infuriates the situation. The best thing you can do is stop everything and just listen and empathize and mean it. Not just because I said it in the shear. That's really the quality of melucha. That's what melucha means. On a, on a mini level, that's what melucha is. That's why to be a good leader, you have to have a good sense of self that you could suspend yourself. You have to be able to see yourself as a king. And the definition of a king is that I could put myself aside and be here for you. And that's a very powerful quality. And the reason it's such a powerful quality is it's the only quality that's actually not about me. It's a quality in me that's about you. It's not about me. Because if it's about me, it's not malucha anymore. That's something else. There's different things. I need my love, yes. 
That's what I need as a recipient. We're all recipients and we're all givers. But what's the definition of a leader? That I'm a giver. The leader has his moments when he has to receive because a leader is also a human being. He's not just uh, this. At some point, Moshe Rabbeinu tells God, kill me, I had enough of this. This is not a life. I can't live like this. He says, if this is what you're doing for me, why don't you just kill me because this is not a normal life of people. But it represents the challenge of Malchus. Let's now go to the Nimshal, and this is his Nikud. We say, You see a whole world. And not just this world, all the worlds, if you're sensitive to the spiritual worlds. So you should understand that what is it all? It's all malchuscha. It's all midas hamalchus. What does it mean it's all midas hamalchus? It all reflects God the way he's perceived, the way he's projected. His name, his reputation. Baruch Shem Kvoid Malchusa. It's basically the way Hashem restricts himself and allows array of array of array to be able to be perceived. What is creation? To summarize it in more abstract but clear terms, what is creation? Creation on the deepest level is Hashem choosing to allow himself to be experienced on some level by the other. But whatever we experience has nothing to do with the essence. On the contrary. It's the essence being suspended. It's the essence being hidden so that we should be able to experience him. It's like the great genius who wants to be here for his students and he gets up to give his shir. And the, the greatness of the shir is not what he said. It's what he didn't say. Because <laughs> if he would have said, you wouldn't understand. It's what he didn't say. Because he wanted people should be able to have some perception, some wisdom. The whole oilamim is what? Is Hashem defining himself in a way that he can be experienced. How? Look around you. Study the bee. Study the worm. Study the bush, study the, the, the solar system, study your body, study a cell, study tissue, study a bone, and you'll see him. But what are, what are you seeing? You're seeing the ray of the sun. You're seeing him in a way that he can inspire us by defining himself in terms that are somewhat limited. What's Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim here is a very sophisticated process. It's not just going out of addiction, toxicity. That's the basic. Jesus Mitzrayim is telling God, I don't want your name, I want you. But, but to go out of the name, I have to go out of kol lamim, even shema lekim. What's the beginning of lo yadati es havaya? The hoya hoya that's completely beyond creation. Creation doesn't grasp it. Just like you'll say, if I cover, if I close the Venetian blinds, the sun is not going to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Why not? We blocked them completely. And the answer is, you th- the sun can't be defined by this. This doesn't capture and chop the sun. Now, of course, by the sun, it's not a good metaphor because the sun is a... It's not like the sun is, have, is in an active relationship with us. But I'm just giving that concept. It's not typhus. It doesn't grasp. It doesn't grasp the essence. Atu koidim shnivra'ilam, atu achashnivra'ilam. So the highest levels of Olamus, even Ruchnius, that's the Chiddush, even Tachlis, or what we call Ruchnius, 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 is a Meitzer It's part of Malchus Chamalchus Kalei And therefore the whole process of Psukah de Zimra is, first of all, the recognition that the world is divine. But then there's a second recognition. What is it? It's the Malchus of the divine. It's Baruch Shem, Kvoid Malchus Vad. Shem, Kvoid Malchus all these words. And therefore, what do I want? 
I want you beyond your name. That's the process of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. That's the ultimate Rotsi in the Jew. The Rotsi in the Jew that he doesn't want to be confined even in the highest forms of spiritual energy, which ultimately are a form of eclipse, a solar eclipse, I should say, or a divine eclipse, which is Shem Alekim. God is the one who allowed this eclipse. He only allows the ray to come in. That's what the Melech does. The Melech is the one who thinks about how the people can experience him. It's not about me. That's what Bria Silamis is. Bria Silamis is not an act of self-expression. It's an act of self-forgetfulness. It's an act of self-transcendence. It's an act of self-suspension. More than it is self-expression. Because what doesn't have to be revealed is far more than what's revealed. Far more. And even the highest spiritual world, it's like one, ten, a billion, a trillion. A trillion is closer to one than it is to infinity. That means the highest form of spiritual energy and sophistication is closer to the most brute form of physicality than it is to God in His essence. Ruchnius doesn't bring us closer to the essence. Ruchnius just is a billion versus one. So in the world of Gvul, it's far greater. But in the world of Bligvul, it's not any closer. Because it's all a product of Gvul, it's all a product of Malchus. Okay. Hmm? Ah. Okay, we'll see. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.